0: Episode 102 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. You know, some Republicans want it to be easier for you to buy a gun than to vote. What is wrong with these people? Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The
1: people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers.
0: The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people.
1: Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret societies. But ours is a nation secret of the battle, not the bullet. And a secret pursuit. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizen live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the Commonwealth.
0: Black. I mean, another week, another violent encounter with guns belonging to people that shouldn't have guns. Um, I, I mean, I can't do another full show on guns, right? I do gun shows every couple of weeks around here. You all know how I feel about guns. I believe they should be treated like everything else that kills in this country. They should be licensed and insured. And I think that these stupid gun nuts should start their own insurance companies and put their money where their mouth is. One thing I know about insurance companies is they know how to measure risks. You think some guy like the guy who walked uh, into a supermarket in Boulder, Colorado would have gotten a gun if he had to get insurance before he could take it away? He bought that gun legally, America. I'm sorry, he wouldn't wouldn't have been able to get insurance unless somebody's willing to put up a lot of dough for him to get insurance on that gun. They measure risks. Remember when you were 16 years old and you wanted car insurance on your own? I don't know if you had to do that. I mean, I had to do that because my parents didn't really support me in, in those kind of things. And you had to go into the assigned risk. Remember that? Assigned risk. And your insurance was like ridiculously... My, my insurance cost more than my car. And that's not even a joke. I had a 77 Chevy Nova as my first car. And this is in the late 80s. Okay, it's like 1989. <laughs> I had a 77 Chevy Nova, and um, I had to start it with a screwdriver, and I think I was paying $1,000 a year for car insurance. I paid $400 for the car from a friend of mine. And then when I got a Camaro a year later, forget it. My insurance was through the roof. So, you know, psychopaths like, you know, the incel that uh, was sex the sex-addicted incel in Georgia who went up and shot up uh, those Asian um, massage parlors. You think he would have been able to get a gun if he needed insurance on it? They'd let him take the gun? He needed to get licensed? I, I believe that we need something like that in America. And, and, you know, but I, I'll start with background checks. I'll start with expanded background checks. So don't give me the Second Amendment nonsense. Second Amendment has regulated in it You think that was by accident? You think the founders just threw that word in there, by accident, regulated? A well-regulated militia. Now, I don't know what that means to you, but I think that means you need to be in a well-regulated militia in order to have the right to bear arms. I don't know. I don't want to take away guns from people who hunt, who do it. You know, I've gone skeet shooting. It's fun. I'm not not interested in making them completely illegal in America. That's not where I stand. I'm not interested in taking guns away from law-abiding citizens. So get that out of your head. I'm not for that. But I do think that people like the guy that walked into that Boulder, Colorado supermarket should never have been able to get a gun, ever. There are a lot of people that go on these killing sprees all the time, that should never be able to get a gun. I, You know, what else do we have to do? And I got Ted Cruz, you know, calling it like drama that the Democrats are, you know, putting out there. Because now here we are again. Blah, blah. Yeah. Here we are again. And I got to watch Lindsey Graham of all people on the Sunday shows this weekend saying he's got an AR-15. And that if any gang wants to come to his neighborhood... He'll take care of him. Come on. Come on, Lindsey. Really? You think that Lindsey Graham is going to. First of all, Lindsey Graham was afraid of a tweet. Okay? He was afraid of big old former guy's Twitter handle coming after him. So you think that he's going to stand up to a gang of people coming to take his stuff in a post apocalyptic South Carolina? Are you kidding me? Anybody who believes that uh, I mean you know anybody who believes that should get their head examined. Uh, I know a guy uh, he used to be for some reason the head of HUD uh, and I hear he's got gifted hands. You might want to look him up uh, it's it's a it's just funny. But let's get some expanded background checks. Let's get what we can get right now, and then let's push for more. He, he actually dared Chuck Schumer to bring an assault weapons spam to the floor of the Senate. Okay, well, if you're not going to filibuster it and we're going to have an up or down vote about it, let's do it. Let's have an up or down vote about assault weapons in this country. And I get it. There might be a Democrat or two that might be a little uh, skittish on that. But I think there's it's it's like an 80% issue in this country. People do not want to see people having these weapons of war. They surely support expanded background checks by huge numbers, which must include a large number of gun owners who say, you know, that guy should never have a gun. Somebody like that should never have a gun. I want expanded background checks that include mental health checks on every gun purchase in this country. And I want it now. And it is, it is, you know, I I don't even know I don't want to spend too much time on this because I know I just talked about this. I talk about this all the time, but, you know, I'm comparing, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about this next to these, these, these voter registration laws and, uh, you know, really voter suppression laws, like in the one in in Georgia. So Georgia doesn't want to let you, um, have, you know, hand out water on a line they want a, a, a 12 hour wait to vote you think somebody's gonna go wait in line for 12 hours to buy a gun in Georgia no way you're not gonna wait there's a waiting period where after you get the gun or there should be a waiting period but they're not you know they're not, you're not gonna have to wait 12 hours to buy a gun you're not gonna have to stand in line for 12 hours in the sun to buy a gun so in Georgia right now in parts of Georgia anyway it is easier to buy a gun than it is to vote. Now, why is that okay? And now that Georgia passed this no food in line voter thing, other states are doing that too. And the thing about the Georgia law, and I don't know if I touched on this last week enough, my biggest problem with that law. Now, I think a lot of it sucks. I think it all sucks. But the thing that should scare you the most, because a lot of the things with proper organization you might be able to get over. They got this provision in the new Georgia law that if the state legislature wants, they could just overturn the results of the election. They could just get rid of the local elections board, come on in, take over at any time after the election, change the rules after the election. Now, Donald Trump spent the better part of the last couple of months asking, you know, last couple of months of his presidency, asking Georgia and other states to do just that. Step in there and change the results of the election for me. Oh, come on. You can find me 11,000 votes. That's all I need. I'm not asking you to to get rid of everything. Just find me 11,000 votes. 11,000. Yeah. So now they have a law that would allow them to do that. Takes it away from the local elections board. Takes it away from the Secretary of State in Georgia. We see the same law being introduced in Arizona. Republicans around the country are introducing these bills all over the place. Um, They're just going to pass in states like Georgia and Arizona where, you know, the Republicans control everything. It's, It's just these people don't believe in America. They don't believe in a democracy, a democratic republic. They don't believe in it. They believe that it's their way and the other side is evil. And I guess they feel by any means necessary, they've, not, they've got to beat that other side back because they're on the sides of the angels. They're God's chosen people and they need to rule America. That's what they believe. Doesn't matter how many people died for your right, right to vote. Doesn't matter. No, 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 no. They're right and everybody else is wrong. And if the people decide that they're not going to be in power anymore, that doesn't matter to them. They're going to keep power. That's what it's about for them. And I get it. I talked about this last week. I I hope you're not like going nuts saying, no, Chris, this is a rerun. No, Uh, I'm a little bit more animated than I was last week, I guess, about this topic and the guns thing. They all kind of like meld together for me. I am, you know, I, I am beside myself. I mean, I remember growing up in politics and, you know, working on campaigns and both candidates coming together to do a video about getting out the vote because everybody believed in voting and people's right to vote and their access to vote. And I, and look, I'll be clear. New York state where I live hasn't been great. They're getting better now. Used to only have same day voting in New York state. We have early voting in New York state right now. It's not great. It's like 10 days before and there's like a couple of places in each county. It's not great. It needs to be better. Um, voting needs to be expanding, right? Using the examples of some democratic states that aren't doing everything they should doesn't work for me. We need to expand voting everywhere. We need to have some national standards around this, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, which is why I'm for HR one. I'm for the John Lewis voting rights act, voting rights advancement act. I'm for it. And I'm pushing for it. I tweet about it all the time. I'm talking to people about it. I think it's an important bill that needs to pass. I just think that a lot of these states, including some Democratic states, they need to be more Democratic, small d, Democratic. We need to allow more access to voting. And it's pathetic to see the right wing in this country so afraid of the people that they're willing to take away the right to vote. I mean, this is something that, I mean, every American should agree on. But of course, you know, they've got their own echo chambers. They have like, you know, the Mike Lindells of the world out there saying, oh, I got a new lawsuit that's going to bring the former guy back. You wait, you wait. (laughs) Okay, Mike. You know, perfect example of why you shouldn't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. Look at Mike Lindell. Clearly, all those years smoking crack. I'm not saying he's on it now, I believe him when he says he's off it, but it did something to his brain. He's clearly crazy. And you see him talking on Steve Bates, like crazy talking to crazy. It, it's 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 pathetic, really. Sometimes I look at these Republicans and I say to myself, if, if this was going on in another country, we'd invade. I mean, they are so anti-democracy. They are so, we're going to rule no matter what. And it it's got, you know, look, I guess that works in some countries for a while. I guess minority rule, you know, worked in Iraq when Saddam Hussein's family kind of ruled with an iron grip for, I don't know, 30 years or so. But it didn't end well. Didn't end well for Iraq. It won't end well here either. We, you know, we can't allow minority rule in America. For, you know, I'm not saying that the rights of the minority party. Shouldn't be considered. They should have access to debate. They should be. You know the loyal minority. Their ideas should be heard. And quite frankly. There'll be times when the majority is not aligned. And the minority can make a difference. That's what happens in legislatures. Used to happen in legislatures. Now it's just like party lines all the time. But you know to hear people talk about the filibuster in the United States Senate, like, oh, it's the protector of the minority party in this country and the founders were all about the rights of the minority. Well, the founders were about the rights of the minority because back when the founders were founding this country, they were the minority, the wealthy landowners. That was what they cared about. They cared about protecting the rights of wealthy landowners against the popular will of the people. And while that has... Stabilized this country. And I believe, firmly believe in our republic. I believe in a Republican form of government, small r Republican form of government. I believe that that stabilized our country, allowed our economy to bloom, allowed us to grow to the powerhouse we are. I believe in it. But I do not believe. That the filibuster, the way it's been used for the last 15 years, Mitch McConnell's filibuster, is has anything to do with the founder's intent. I don't think they could have possibly, and first of all, it's not in the Constitution. We heard from Barbara Boxer three weeks ago. It's just kind of like an accident of history that, of course, Aaron Burr was involved with. Those of you who know me know I love the, the musical Hamilton. And also know that I love Hamilton. Loved him before. I read his, you know, that that thousand page biography uh when I used to commute to Manhattan uh carrying that book around was tough this is, be- this is pre-kindle days or I mean, kindle might have been around but I still like a book um it's it's not helping it's not making things better we're not like first of all for the last hundred years or so it's really only been used to kill civil rights bills now it's being used to kill everything for the last 15 years that the majority wants to do that the minority doesn't want to do. It's almost like a minority veto over majority rule. The Democrats got 7 million more votes than Republicans for president and multi-million more votes than Republicans for the Senate and for the House. The Senate is undemocratic to begin with, right? That's enough minority rule for me. That's enough power to the minority because Democrats have a natural disadvantage in the Senate. Think about it. Idaho's never going democratic in this country Anytime soon, California is very democratic, but it has 30 million more people living there than Idaho. But the, you know, the, the cows in Idaho, the potatoes in Idaho have as much power in the Senate as the 45 million Californians. Why is that? So in addition to having that, where you get extra votes because, you know, territory, We're going to give them the filibuster too, so you could just filibuster whatever you want and just block everything. No, I'm sorry. Get rid of it. Be done with it. Move on, especially when it comes to voting rights and civil rights in this country, which have been historically used by the right in this country. And I say the right, not Republicans, because there were some Democrats that did it too. Historically used by the right in this country to block civil rights legislation and voting rights legislation that needs to be passed right now. We can't be allowing state legislatures to determine that an election after the fact wasn't run right. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. We don't want some partisan, you know, make partisan board determining elections in this country. Elections should be nonpartisan or bipartisan. So for, you know, anybody who's going to defend that Georgia law, you know the two points you you can't hand hand out water. Well, here's what you should have done, Georgia. Instead of worrying about handing out water, make it so you don't have 12 12-hour 12 lines to vote in the cities in Georgia. I mean, I'll give up the water if it's a 30-minute wait. Shouldn't take longer to vote than it does to get a pizza. Shouldn't take longer to vote than it does to buy a gun. Get a gun in 30 minutes or less in Georgia. Vote, uh, might, you might need to take a day or two off, get a babysitter, pack a lunch because nobody can feed you now, bring some water, you know, kind of like you're hiking or running a marathon, except for it's like you're running three marathons because the average marathon takes four hours, five hours. I, I ran it in three hours and change, uh, not to brag, but <laughs> hey, the average marathon is like four hours and 15 minutes. Some people voted, took them 12 hours, like running three freaking marathons in Georgia. Give me a break. All right, so I have a great guest, other side of the aisle, but a good friend of mine. Uh, Amy Holmes uh, is a writer on Real Time with Bill Maher. Uh, and, uh, you know, she worked for Bill Frist in the Senate when the Senate used to work a little bit. Uh, back when I worked in the Senate. And she's a great person. Uh I don't agree with her on a lot of things, but I truly appreciate her opinion. And uh, look, that's what it's about, right? Exchanging ideas. So uh, take a listen to this, uh, and I'll be back to wrap it up after Joining me now is my returning champion, I should say. Conservative media pundit Amy Holmes, former aide to Senate Majority Leader, Bill Frist. Of course, I am a former aide to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. We are both now former aides to majority leaders. Of course, you worked for him when he was in the majority. Uh, Amy, how you doing? And currently, I should say I'm so proud of Amy. She is a writer on one of my all time favorite shows, Real Time with Bill Maher. Amy, thanks for joining me. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How are you
0: doing? I I couldn't be better. Uh, you know, I'm. I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But before we get into our topic, and I told you I want to talk you been to you. In a tunnel, Chris. I feel like I've been in a tunnel for the last That's year, the haven't you? Real metaphorical tunnel. <laughs> I mean, um, before yeah. before we get to that topic, I just did a rant before I got on the air with you about daylight savings time and how I want daylight savings time to be permanent all year yeah I agree right we're we have bipartisan New Yorkers agreement we have bipartisan support We're in New York right I made a plea I have a, I have a station in Idaho I made a plea to the Republican Senators in Idaho to just throw me a freaking bone and give it to me Give a, everybody would do better with an extra hour of daylight at the end of the day right? Oh, absolutely. My food is already lifted. Good. There you go. So I'm like, I'm ready to rock on that one. So let's talk about one of your favorite subjects. You've written a lot about it. I talked about it uh, on my podcast last week. I haven't talked about it too much on the radio yet. Cancel culture. And, you know, while I think it's overused, the term is overused, I think like when conservatives are run around reading Dr. Seuss books when, you know, a private company decides, you know what, that's a little too racy for us. We're going to go a different direction on a couple of our products. Um is weird, but I think when Teen Vogue makes a decision to kill an editor job because the woman had a tweet when she was 17, I think that's kind of ridiculous, frankly.
1: It was outrageous and totally unjust. And Vogue, Teen Vogue, Conde Nast, Anna Wintour, all of them should be deeply, deeply ashamed of their cowardice and their disloyalty. And the terrible example that they're setting for teen girls. Yeah. This this is just outrageous. And I can't imagine what Alexi has been
0: going through, being dragged through all of this.
1: I, 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 I mean, I thought it... She apologized for all of this
0: two years ago. By the way, not only that, I'm sorry. You and I are of a certain age, of a certain generation. Generation X, which I think is the best generation, if you ask me. Um... When we were kids, we didn't have Twitter. Nobody right. was taking pictures of everything we did. Thank God. Right. <laughs> I mean, you and I was a knucklehead when I was seventeen. A you complete unhirable. I would be unhirable. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I don't know that I don't know that I ever did anything to intentionally hurt anybody, and I don't think Lexi did either. And it's yeah. it's, it's it's look. I am not for people using hurtful language. I am not for people intentionally hurting people, but I am for judging people by who they are now, not who they were when.
1: Well, particularly as a teenager. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why you're a lawyer, why we, you know, close the books on teenage crimes and expunge it from their records and they can go on and build a life. And this example, and, you know, you might have, you know, been the kid being a smart ass and posting stuff on Twitter. And also remember that, you know, when you're a teenager, you're, you know, your friendship circle, your Twitter group is like, what, 10 people right. that are really interacting with you. You don't think that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, you're going to be having a global audience right. for what you post on Twitter. But, you know, I, I don't think... Looking not to say that I was like some sort of saint or angel, but I was a fairly shy teenager. Actually, uh, maybe there been, there might have been some devilish side of me that would have loved to go on Twitter and, maybe, you know, maybe under a pseudonym or something and pop off and say things that I really think. But the this cancel culture mentality also encourages the worst aspects of human nature. Of Going after and condemning and stoning and leading witch hunts against it is, people, and who are the worst about that? Well, uh, unfortunately, now it's adults, but teenagers. Yeah, it's it's scary. It's scary. after each
0: other. It's scary, and you know, I I, I love what Sarah, Sarah Silverman calls it righteousness porn. And it's it's yeah. it's you know everybody's saying you know I know better I've always known better you know I'm sorry not everybody knew better. Always, even yeah. a lot of the people that are a lot of the people that are, are, are throwing the first stone have their own I sins. Say, Chris, including Alexi's
1: main tormentor, the woman who was leading the the witch hunts to pack the the jackals yep. against Alexi. It turns out that uh, she was a prolific user of the n word. Yeah, when she was a teenager.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's it's and sickening. Now there are there are people at Teen Vogue saying she needs to be booted. You know, she needs to be voted off the island and pushed overboard. I, to mix my metaphor, this, this 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 ex- uh, whole fiasco also points up to something that conservatives warned. The whole woke the cancel culture warriors, from the very beginning, which we know where this ends, and this ends with. Cannibalism—you will end up eating your
0: own. It, 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 it's, our its words. it gotta go. You know, look. Denise, 1st of all, shouldn't there be a statutes of limitations yes. for things that you said? Yes. Right. And and maybe we should be—maybe we she should, she should be judging Lexi. So maybe we should be judging this woman by the content of who she became as an adult. I mean, it is—it is. She's she's clearly a caring, thoughtful person in I her adulthood. Care
1: if she's a raging, you know, bitch on wheels. If that's what it takes to be the editor of Teen Vogue, she should be, you know, this was about a job. And right. she was hired because she was a dazzling journalist, winning awards, as you know, skilled at what she does. She had apologized for these tweets already two years ago. She brought them up in the interview to yeah. alert them, which is a very responsible thing to do. Yeah. And she knew that that might have cost her the position. Yeah. Which I think is a very brave and honorable thing to do.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Totally. And she gets rewarded by the so called grown ups in the situation, the executives at Conde Nast and Teen Vogue, uh, being, you know, running and, uh, you know, uh, tucking tail and running and hiding and firing her. Now, I, I mean, I hope her contract, I don't know, you know, they have these clauses about, you know, you can get fired. know, for these things. But if she
0: brought it up... I mean, how could you be fired? How could you be fired for something you did when you were 17 years old, when you're an adult now? I I mean, maybe... If it was something egregious, if it was some
1: criminal, you know, activity that was egregious, I could understand that. And particularly if it was hidden from the employer. Right. But in this case, she was up front on the table. You need to know this. This might hurt my chances. But, you know, she didn't want to blindside them, which is, you know, as they say, a very... Honorable, brave, courageous thing to do. Particularly, when such a big job is hanging in the balance. Yeah. Think of all the people who actually lied on their resume, who say that they like went to colleges they didn't, and got degrees they didn't. She was, you know, honest to a fault. And I wonder, you're a lawyer here. Would she have, you know, any legal basis to sue Condé Nast?
0: Uh, you always they have. Told
1: been... her it was okay. I, and I, I if her, and
0: I was her, I would be. Job. If I was her, I would be suing Condé Nast.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. But she did resign, which is part which is part of her problem here. But it, it, it she should it, have never have done that. Yeah, it never resigned them fire her. Yeah, that she should have made them fire her and not resigned. Unless she was forced to resign, which is probably what happened. Uh, it, it's it's what a force to resign. What does that mean? Meaning, resign or we're going to fire you. Resign or else. You know, they gave her the well, ultimatum.
1: Say, no, I'm going to make you fire me. I'm yeah. going to humiliate myself.
0: It, it's it's scary to me. It's scary to me that this goes on. That example is, in my opinion, the clearest, most egregious example I've seen. Uh, you know, I, I, again, conservatives want to run with like uh, Hasbro's decided to have Potato Head instead of having a Mr. Potato Head and a Mrs. Potato Head. And the reason why they're doing that is they're including all the parts in one box because sales of Potato Head aren't doing too well and they didn't want to have to do two different versions of it. It was a business decision. Nobody told them to do it. But uh, this is real. And that's. Yeah, I'm going to say, Alexi's actually a real life
1: person. Right. Not a
0: plastic toy. Right, right. People
1: are being treated like plastic toys
0: and smashed up yep. and thrown into garbage. Yep. It's, 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 it's outrageous. It's outrageous. I know that you've spent the entirety of COVID in, in, New, apartment? in your apartment in <laughs> New York City. Yeah. Uh, and I, I can't imagine, you know, I live out on Long Island and I have plenty of space. Um, and plenty of places to go where I won't be around people. Uh, I can't imagine what this last year has been like for you. We've talked a couple times on the radio. We've we've texted back and forth. You're you know, Amy and I don't agree on a lot of politics, but I love Amy personally, and she's one of my <laughs> one of my good friends. And, uh, and And I I just I can't imagine what it was like. Well,
1: to be honest, not a whole lot different because I had been working from home before COVID hit. So, and I'm a bit of a home buddy in my old age and I, I joke that, you know, my boyfriend is named Amazon Prime <laughs> and uh, he always delivers. He's always entertaining. Uh, so, it, it, it hasn't necessarily been a huge difference in that sense, but certainly, like, socially, a lot of my friends in, uh, in New York, we can't meet up for dinner. Yeah. Uh, uh, some of them, they fled, they got out of here. And, you know they're not going to come back until we beat this COVID thing and New York City comes back to life. Uh, walking outside, all of these store, sh- you know, storefronts all closed up, uh, probably not coming back.
0: Yeah, a lot of them aren't coming back.
1: They're not coming back. New York is a very different city now
0: with COVID. By the way, did and you upgrade? I, did you upgrade your apartment during COVID? Like, did you get not, a bigger no, apartment? No.
1: No, I, I moving well. Moving that I I think COVID would have complicated that, uh, and I certainly didn't want to go so, through that. So house
0: my agent, all by myself, my agent lived in an apartment on the Upper West Side, and um, he was in a small studio apartment. He upgraded to a two bedroom, and he's saving money.
1: <laughs> so, nice. No, my landlords are not so nice, but yeah. um, and, and and frankly, like to me, moving is just so difficult. I, I have considered though. Uh, I'm looking at Florida at Miami, loving that Ron DeSantis, loving the no state income tax, and that, uh, you know, Florida is doing well. Well,
0: you're going to have a hard time if you have to go back to work in L.A., and we'll talk about that in the next segment. But, like, uh, you know, living in an apartment in New York, watching what's going on in the city, and, and, and even this week, seeing de Blasio has decided that on April, I guess April 1st, Uh, all city workers are going to start reporting back to work.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, You know,
1: I've... You know, that's not necessarily going to bring New York City back to life. A lot of those workers are commuters. So they come in for work, they go to, you know, Panera or, uh, you know, whatever it's like, the little fast food lunch place, and then they get on the subway and leave, and we're left, you know, with this, uh, still left with this social wasteland, this social desert.
0: Right. Right.
1: Uh, I did see reports that they're more tourists, but I mean, ask any New Yorker; nobody thinks that's you know necessarily great. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, it's <laughs> part. New
1: York, it's good for it's good for business.
0: But part of life. Yep.
1: It's part of life. It's part of being a New Yorker. Um, but a lot of what you know compensated for the high rent and uh, you know some of the drawbacks of New York was all that it has to offer in terms of you know stepping outside into your city living room. And that's gone now. Yeah, and I don't know if you can hear. You can hear the sirens outside of my window. Uh, it was particularly uh, edgy and difficult last summer with the George Floyd riots and yeah. you could hear helicopters and sirens. But in a certain sense, it was also kind of exciting. Like, oh, it's
0: just, at least something's going on. I was in town last summer a lot during that. You know, and yeah, you know, I got to tell you, I I mean, I wasn't downtown when they were burning down buildings or anything, but it was. It you know it it was I thought it got a lot of press that was over the top based on what I saw I saw a lot of people marching with their dogs you know and people probably were sick of being inside coming out and and, and doing something but mm-hmm. uh, but you know it's interesting I I wonder what the cities
1: live I live just two or three blocks from Herald Square where the which was like the epicenter of the rioting and you it sounded like a war zone without the gunshot
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just horrible. And I'm just, I'm hopeful that the city will come back. I actually think it's going to be good for the city because I think the city was getting too expensive. And I think the fact that you got a lot of people leaving the city, it'll make room for younger people to move back into the city who are going to be more part of the creative class. Right. And you'll bring
1: back a little bit of that New York Bohemia,
0: Right. A little bit of, not only, not only like the bohemian side, but like engineers and, and other people that, you know, need to move into the city to kind of like collaborate that can't. That that might have been commuting from Long Island or, or New Jersey and now they're gonna live in the right. city, live in Manhattan, and you'll get more of that like you know, New York where where it's more accessible. And I think a lot of these office buildings, these these huge office buildings in the city, uh, half I, I think half of them are gonna have to be converted to either apartments or torn down. I don't know how you're ever gonna fill that much commercial real estate again in New York. Yeah.
1: So where are you on the COVID vaccine?
0: Well, or I have not. Have I am it, not. I, get it I am not yet. It? I'm not yet eligible. The minute I become eligible, I'm getting a shot. You are absolutely. I am not if waiting you know a which second. One you want? I don't which care. One. Whichever one they give me. If I had my druthers, I'd get the Johnson and Johnson one because I'm impatient and I don't want to have to do it twice. Right. But it's it's you know whatever they give me. I mean I'm not picky. Uh, I'm still look. I'm New York has lowered the age to fifty. I'm not yet fifty, so I am not in yeah, that category.
1: I- What'd you say? <laughs>
0: Nor am I. <laughs> okay, good. So it's it's you know, we, we you know, I, I think next week they'll lower it to forty and then I'll be mm-hmm. eligible and I'll go out and you I'll get jump it. Jump in line. I, the minute I get okay, it. The sorry, minute... Chris,
1: I, I'm not a you know, um a resistor when it comes to the vaccine, but I'm I am gonna be a holdout. I'm not around people. The you know, the most people i I see in my day if I see anybody at all, is the you know front door man possibly the guy delivering GrubHub or something from Amazon? Yep. Uh, so I'm not exposed to the virus. And I'm not a danger to other people uh, in that sense. Well, uh, and I never got into the flu vaccine.
0: So but what if you got to get on a plane? What if like what if your new boss Bill Maher says, "Hey, Amy, come on out here. Let's do a show. Um, yeah. You know, let's get well, the group." Of course. You know and and also Amy I just want to remind you you owe me a large cappuccino for losing the presidential and senate elections to me. So I, think I made a prediction. You predicted that the Democrats would not take the Senate. And I predicted well, they, that you, they would. And you predict that
1: bef- uh, before or after November 6th.
0: You predicted it before and we had well, a I large bet. we had a large cappuccino on the line. What? I won that I won that bet. The Democrats did not take the
1: Senate.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no 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 no. Now stop trying to lawyer me, Amy. Okay. You owe me one large cappuccino. So you but better go get your
1: I shot. go get a vaccine so I can buy you a, a Absolutely. A vaccine. You incentivize people, Chris. <laughs> you have abs- to tell them you have to pay to go do something y- you don't
0: want. You need to go get your shot in the arm so I can go get a double shot of espresso, okay?
1: Okay. All right. Uh, But I, I have to say, you know, I understand the hesitancy and the nervousness about getting this vaccine. That, you know, we do see the stories that some people suffer symptoms of the vaccine that possibly are worse than had they just been asymptomatic with COVID in the first place. And you're putting this foreign.
0: you know, I, I and I, I hear those it's stories awesome. too, and it, it's great just for the react. it's great for the media to showcase those stories. But it's anecdotal. The, lo- the, the, the it's statistically. I also in-
1: hate needles. I hate needles.
0: It's I, I know, but we're gonna just have to look the other way and just think about yeah. all the coffee shops you could go to and hang out, and we could talk politics. All right.
1: I'm stick- sure it's one of those things that it's far. It's not as bad as you fear it will be.
0: Exactly. You could do it, Amy. I'm always proud of you. And I'm also proud and jealous that you have a job as a comedy writer on real yeah. time with Bill Maher. Now, I've done all these improv classes, stand up my whole life. <laughs> I'm... My politics and Bill's are very similar. Yours is a little mm-hmm. bit off of Bill's. How do you get this job? And I'm still stuck here doing radio.
1: i was going to say, uh, to call me a comedy writer, I think is generous, a bit of a stretch. Um, my main focus is on the news and analysis side of the job, although I have been writing jokes and he does use them, some of them. Uh, and I love it. I love the way that it's challenging me, stretching me, learning from all of these incredibly sharp-witted, fast-thinking, great, you know, uh, colleagues that I get to work with. Uh, so it's been it's been a blast. But I'll tell you, it is very demanding that uh, Bill takes his Job his his responsibility is
0: very very serious. Of course he does. That's and how you last. What is he like? Forty years now on top of the game. I mean, you know,
1: twenty five years. And yeah. You know, the what you hear on the show, what you see is what you get. That is who he is. Those are his real thoughts. That's what he's thinking about. He's constantly reading, educating himself, testing ideas, debating. Um, so it's been both creatively and intellectually, really challenging and stimulating and rewarding.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. What do you find the most rewarding part of the job? When he uses my stuff. I mean, didn't we feel that way when we were in the Senate too? Like yes. when we were kids in the Senate, right? So when I'm a kid out of law school and I'm working for Chuck Schumer and I write a line for Chuck Schumer and he goes and says it, I'm like, right, you know. Amazing to me, amazing to me, and, and- it's
1: amazing. And but there's also this nervousness. I don't know if you felt this when you wrote for Senator Schumer that uh, you're, you know, writing for them, and if they use your stuff, that you know, what if it doesn't go over, or there's a negative reaction, and you feel you know partially responsible for that. Like there's you know that kind of excitement and nervousness that okay cross my fingers that you know the audience likes it as well as
0: you know we do well you know the thing about comedy that's different from the senate so i once wrote a line really? is there is there a big difference well i once gave chuck schumer a line that was horrible that he used uh-huh. that he uh, you know we were sitting there uh getting ready to go do a press conference and i said the only way this this ridiculous thing is going to get a story is if you walk out of this car, walk up to that microphone and say, you're going to filibuster this bill. <laughs> right? And he did. And it was horrible. Oh. It was the worst thing in the world. Uh, and it, it, you know, it, it's, I wish I hadn't said that. Right. And, yeah. it, and, but you know, life moves on. It just takes a little longer in comedy. They can't all be gems. You. They can't what? And he didn't blame you? No, he didn't blame me. He took responsibility. No, he That's took responsibility it. because it's his decision He's and he- Andrew Cuomo. His look, the thing about Chuck and and you probably had the same thing with your center is their name on the door. We're just giving them advice. They have to right. take it, right? And and with Bill Maher is the same thing. It's his name on the show. He's the one saying the line. The difference between comedy and politics is that there's going to be another show tomorrow and they can't all be gems. You know, I've right. done I've done enough improv in my life to know that they can't all be gems. But I always knew you'd be a comedy writer because the first time we were ever in the same room together, I don't know if you remember this. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't know if you remember this. We were on this super panel that Sean Hannity was doing, and it was about the Affordable Care Act. And he he calls on me to talk about the Little Sisters of the Poor case. Mm -hmm. And I had this joke that I've been telling and I said, you know, Sean—
1: These nuns who are being forced to yeah, hand out
0: condoms. Yeah, it's about it's about birth control being being included in the Affordable Care Act. That's really what it was about. And I said, you know, Sean, in these tough economic times, don't you think people should have a recreational activity that they can afford? And don't you think sex is a good one for that— <laughs> And you start cracking up and then he calls on you about something else and you go, No, 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 Sean. I want Chris to expand on what he just said. <laughs> <laughs> That's when we became we became fast friends after that. We were very and it was and it was over a joke, really. Because yeah. you had an eye for comedy. You weren't like neither one of us, even though it might appear when I'm on Fox that I'm this serious person. And the people who listen to my radio show don't don't get that serious side of me because I try to be funny on the radio. I want you to listen. Um, but you and I are are serious people, but we like a good joke. And I think right. that that's why you fit in there.
1: I hope so. I hope that my colleagues uh, agree with that. But it you know it kind of brings us full circle. I think to cancel culture and the wokesters because those are the least funny you know, uh, people on the planet cannot take a joke. And yet I think that their politics are a joke. So while you and I take ideas seriously to grapple with them and take in new information and debate and come to conclusions, they're just knee-jerk and uh, reactive and oftentimes very self-dealing. That's one side of all this cancel culture I think needs more attention. A lot of it is being used by people who are trying to push people out and,
0: uh, you know, so, so that they uh, can step, step in, story so
1: that they can step in. Exactly. And,
0: and I think that's part of what and, happened. And I got to tell you when it, when they come after comedians, it gets me really mad because I think comedians need a wide berth to tell what? their jokes. Right. Yeah. Uh, D- Dave Chappelle did a special last year called sticks and stones, which I'm, I'm surprised didn't get more pushback from the, you know, from the woke Olympics because it was, it was, you know, the, it was, Purposely named to get people pissed off. (laughs) And he went out there.
1: This all ends. When do you think that, you know, this thing just goes over a cliff and crashes and people realize that.
0: I think it's crashing now. You know, I think it's just about over because, one, the Republicans made a a mockery of themselves in their challenge of it with the stupid Dr. Seuss stuff. And two, this situation at Conde Nast is I don't know how anybody could look at that and think that that's fair. I don't think I don't I don't know how anybody can look at it. And most Americans, most Americans aren't on that path, Amy. It's a very, including most Democrats and most progressives. It's a very small group of people.
1: Show that the public hates it.
0: Yeah, overwhelmingly. It's it's like you know, give people a chance to explain what they're talking about or ignore things that they did 10 years ago it doesn't matter if they didn't hurt anybody through it and if they're you know if it was bad and they apologize for it great whatever happened to forgiveness amy i'm out of time with you amy holmes is What's one of the fun. best writers on the bill maher show oh that's a real cool. time with bill maher she's at what is it at amy m holmes amy m holmes. amy m holmes on twitter i always treat her out amy thank you thanks for joining me Right, I hope you liked Amy. I love Amy. I know you probably don't agree with Amy. She is definitely hard to debate. She knows a lot about a lot, and she's got very informed opinions. I, I was a little concerned about her, you know, hesitancy on the vaccine. I, uh, New York, as of today, will allow everybody over the age of 30 to get a vaccine, which means I will be signing up. Uh, I Probably by the time you've listened to this, I have signed up. Uh, to get my vaccine. Hopefully I'll get it soon because I really just want to go out to dinner and not worry about dying um, or spreading it to somebody I love. So I'll go out there and get that vaccine and get vaccinated. I hope you're getting vaccinated if you're eligible. I hope you signed up. I hope it wasn't too uh, terrible of a process for you. I hope you didn't have any side effects. Um, But I think we're getting there. Look, I mean, Joe Biden gave a press conference last week. He started out the press conference by saying, we're going to make uh, 200 million people vaccinated by uh, my first 100 days. Well, that's freaking awesome, right? Everybody was complaining that the 100 million goal was too easy. He got to 100 million in like 54 days. Now he's going for 200 million. And if you recall, if you're a, uh, a conscientious listener to this show, I don't know if it was last week or the week. I think it was last week. I said they should make the goal 200 million. Or that he'll hit $200 million in the first 100 days. And lo and behold, he comes out on Thursday and says, let's make it $200 million. Now, I don't know for a fact that Joe Biden is a subscriber to the Aggressive Progressive podcast. But it sure sounds like it. And God knows he's got a very senior aide, his most senior aide, Ron Klain, who has been a guest on this very show. So it is possible that Ron Klain, who might be a fan, might be listening to this right now. Heard this broadcast last week. I guess it's not a broadcast when it's a podcast. I I do have a radio show where I do broadcast as well, and I may have said that on that. I, I say so many things on that show. I don't remember exactly what I said, and I'm more of an improviser on that show than I am on my podcast because I do the podcast after I've done the radio show, so I have some bits kind of working around in my head a little bit. Uh, but it's still a bit of an improv, as you could probably tell, (laughs) especially this week. God, I hope that nobody from the Bill Maher show is listening to this this week and saying, man, this guy is all over the map. There's two things I need to explain to you, uh, Bill Maher's production staff, if you're listening. One, I had a very large cup of coffee before I did this show from uh, a popular chain who makes very strong coffee, and I am bouncing off the freaking walls. I got to do some TV after this, and I wanted to be ready for it because it's a little late for me to be doing TV. So I wanted to be ready for it. So I grabbed myself a nice big cup of Joe, and I'm uh, banging out the wall here and uh, doing the podcast, and I'm bouncing all over the place. But uh, you know, look, uh, it's good stream of consciousness. I hope you enjoy it. It's different, definitely different than some of the lamos you have on your show. You now, look, last couple of weeks have been great, uh, but you know, the guy who has the TV show on uh, some app. I didn't I didn't get how he's getting on there, and I'm not. Just saying. Not that I'm angry. I hope that you're listening. I hope that you're thinking about booking me because uh, I really want to come on. Just my appeal to Bill Maher, and if you're a fan of this show and you want to tweet at Bill Maher this podcast, please do, uh, or, or an episode you think that might be a better representation of who I am than this one. Uh, my interview with Amy was pretty consistent with all my other interviews, uh, but I think I've been bouncing off the wall a little bit doing my my rants, both opening and closing. I love the media's response to Joe Biden's press conference, though, by the way. And by the way, you could tell I don't edit these too much uh, just by these horrible transitions I'm doing. Um, I love the media's response to Joe Biden's press conference. Joe Biden goes out there. He's just going to answer questions. He's not planning the questions. The media doesn't ask him certain questions. like They didn't ask him any questions about the coronavirus. They didn't ask, he didn't ask about the pandemic. Not one question. Now, granted, when you open up your press conference saying, here's what I'm doing to solve the pandemic problem, you know, problem, you might take away that question from some reporters. That's what I thought. I mean, the guy came out, and said, look, we're doing so well with our, you know, vaccination. Uh, we're going to up the ante and make it a 200 million person goal in the first hundred days with only 40 days left. I-, I thought that was pretty bold of Joe Biden to do that. Um, they didn't ask any questions about that. They didn't ask any questions about his one point nine trillion dollar COVID relief package that just passed because everybody likes it. <laughs> Republicans like it too. They're trying to take credit for it now. Now that they voted, I was I was against it before. I was for it. I think that's the way they're doing it right now. Um, so interesting. But you know, look, I think the media needs to do better. Uh, when they're asking questions, um, the thing that 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 was funny for me though is that. Conservative media decided that they were going to point out that Joe Biden used notes. And that was their big critique. Oh, he's losing it. He uses notes. Um, You know, the other guy, his press conferences were kind of like my podcast. If he had a little too much caffeine before he went out there, you never knew what he was going to say. And I'm not the president of the United States. I'm an entertainer. So it's definitely okay for me to do that. It is not okay for the president of the United States to be all over the map. So a president having some notes with some stats and some figures on it, probably not a bad idea. And you know what? I think a lot of presidents did that. Joe Biden just doesn't care if you see him doing it. So go ahead, criticize him for that while you're getting your vaccine and the economy's booming and Americans are happy and his approval rating is at 60%. You know, that's why these guys, to come back to what we started this show talking about, only care about stopping people from vote because they know that people are happy. And when people are happy, they tend to vote for the guy that's there and the people around them. So Republican legislatures across this country are going to do everything they can to gerrymander. They're going to do everything they can to make it harder for people to vote. I, I agree with the president when he says it's Jim Crow Uh, It makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle, whatever that's supposed to mean. uh, I think it's bad because it does look like Jim, you know, look, this is Jim Crow on steroids. This is Jim Crow uh, with a manicure. And it's, it's time for that to stop. And it's time for every American to stand up against it. It is time, you know, I don't mind that I'm talking about this now two weeks in a row because it's so important of an issue and we need to fix it. We need to stop it. You need to tell your congressman and your senator to support HR one, particularly your senator. It's already passed the House. Call your senator, especially if you live in Arizona or West Virginia, and tell them to get it done, whatever it takes. Get that bill passed, whatever it takes. Our republic hangs in the balance. Let's get it done. I just want to thank you again for supporting this podcast. We're really growing. One hundred two episodes in the, in the in the bank now uh getting a lot of listens it grows every week and it's because of your word of mouth i'm not advertising iHeartRadio radio is doing a pretty good job of placing me so uh thanks to them and and all the other carriers it's available on every podcast app there is um and and you know feel free to follow me on twitter i'm at christopher hunt on twitter and if you want bill maher or somebody else to have me on their show tweet at them tell them about the podcast send them an episode you think accurately represents this podcast i don't know if this one does Uh, We're a little little loose today, but I want to remind you, as I always do every week, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth, because I know the truth is out there, and I know we'll find it if we look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.